Good. Well, thank you for uh, coming to, to Romans. It seems like we only have it every other week. We hope that that isn't the way it goes for the rest of the year. But uh, um, thank you so much for uh, investing um, in this. Uh, we are on a start of a seven-week series on bad news. And so uh, bring the Kleenex and um, persevere a little bit. And hopefully we'll get that, a little bit of the gospel laced in there with all the good news, but um, Hanny um, Langclose is one of my students that her mom's an English teacher, uh, ironically enough, but she said over and over, the badder the bad news, the gooder the good news, and that's what we needed to know for a long, long time um, here because it's going to make the gospel really good when we understand really what we're coming from. Um, before we pray, I just want to give just a brief little um, synopsis of the first couple weeks we saw in those first 17 verses really 15 verses on kind of an introduction um, to the gospel a uh, Paul being excited about uh, getting out to Rome even though he had never um, been there and then 16 and 17 is a great two verse um, summary of the gospel. Josh, you read 16 and 17? Sure. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Good, yeah. And so then uh, there is from verse 18 to chapter 3, Verse 20, it's about the depravity of man. And there's not much good news that you can find in any of those next really um, about two chapters. And then it is going to be the best news in six verses that you'll ever find. And that's that um, Romans 3, 21 to 26. And so it's a little bit like a um, the bad news is wrapped like a sandwich in uh, in good news before and after and just in the brilliant way that uh, that Paul wrote this. Carter is going to, this is Carter Hart. Uh, many of you recognize him. Um, Grant is on baby leave. We voted two to one to give Grant um, one day of uh, baby leave and says i don't think that's the official what is that there's a better word for that Paternity leave. that's probably what i'm looking for and um so we won't say who the one was but uh but i'm glad he won that he's glad that he won that vote and that gives him one excused absence and so uh but no we're very grateful for um could, josh can you tell us a little bit uh about how we can pray for grant and haley and then pray for them? sure yeah, good news is they're, they went home this morning or some at some point today, and um, Grant just asked that we pray for continued healing for Haley and that there wouldn't be any recurring or lasting issues and that they would be filled with thankfulness for the Lord's provision and that uh, they would be godly parents to Caroline, the baby. Good, you pray for them? Sure. Father, thank you for chance to study Romans, and we're sad that Grant's not here today, but Lord, thank you for the way that you've sustained them through the trial, and thank you that the baby is healthy. Thank you for your provision and providence over the last few days for them. 
I pray that they would be godly parents to Caroline and that as a church body we would be diligent to preach the gospel to the young people at North Avenue Church. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good deal. Carter. Carter has some insights. Carter has insights all the time, but especially some insights on the connection with 16, 17, and 18. And I think most of the time, uh, most of the guys that we're reading, 16 and 17 are not connected with then 18 to 23, or there's a new chapter break. Um, but I, when I was reading uh, uh, Matthew Henry, he connects 16 to 18. He puts those together. And so Carter spilled the beans about 12 days ago that he has a connection and he hasn't told us. And so Josh and I are just as excited as you are to hear this connection from 16 and 17 and 18. But Carter, before you do that, could you read for us? Maybe start, and Josh already read 16 and 17, but so that we can see the connection. Would you read 16? all the way to 23, and then we'll get to work. Sure. <clears throat> for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Good. Make the connection there for us, uh, Carter. And I've been looking forward to this since you, uh, since you texted that. Well, um, at first, I have to admit that um, last Sunday, I didn't completely see the link between uh, 16 and 18, uh, 16, 17, and 18. What I thought Paul was doing in his logic was just stating how eager he was to preach the gospel to everyone who was at Rome and telling us how he's not ashamed of the gospel and then jumping, just making a cold leap from he's not ashamed to the wrath of God. And that seemed pretty strange to me anyway. But looking at it more closely, it seemed that Paul's uh, logic flows really smoothly. Um, so I just want to back up and just read verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Just to like to recap that Paul was eager to come to these Roman believers who he hadn't even uh, seen before. And he was eager in the, in the fact that their, their faith had been proclaimed in all the world. And he was so moved and you could see through Paul's eagerness that this message wasn't, um, it wasn't a vain message or it wasn't filled with you know, vain words that went up like smoke in the air. This was a solid message, and in reality, it was the only solid hope of mankind that he was bringing to these, to these guys in Rome. And so just reading through verse 16 and 18, 
we see that Paul expounds on his previous argument that this message is nothing to be trifled with. He says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And we can see that Paul, in his letter, he just adds on to his argument throughout the whole letter, like you guys pointed out through previous Sunday schools. So when you see four, I mean, it automatically switches in my brain to because. So Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And I thought it was really interesting how there is something being contrasted with Paul here through the use of identical sentence structure. If you look in verse 17, Paul says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed from the faithfulness of God to those who abandon all hope in their religiosity and rely in sole hope in God alone. But we also see that something else is revealed in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we see the contrast between the righteousness provided by and afforded by God, while at the same time we see that Paul is saying that the wrath of God is revealed from God against the mustard strength of our own being, that sort of attempt to earn our own salvation. And so we can see how Paul links these two arguments. He's like building upon his argument through the use of the contrast between male, to, by the contrast between man's self-made righteousness and the righteousness that God provides. So the only difference in between those two is that one is in pride to God, in pride towards God's gift. We we refuse it, and the other is the response of the recipient is that we abandon all hope in our efforts. So I thought that it was pretty powerful. I love that, Carter. Man, how important when we read this, and and I was convicted big time this week that oftentimes a passage like this makes me want to take shots at the unbeliever, at least in my heart. I like, you guys, how are you so blind to the truth? You mean General Revelation screams with you every day, all day long, and you continue to cover it, ah, nah, 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 I'm not listening, no. That's like, you, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. I get that kind of a mindset with them. I get a little bit perturbed with the unbeliever and, and a little self-righteous, I think. And to just say, and I think what Carter, you're saying so good is to say, but that's all of us. We all start there. And if God had not changed us, if he had not regenerated our dead heart, we would be just the same and we were just the same before we knew him. Josh, any insights from what Carter has there? So good. Yeah, I, I think that's a great connection to tease out the logic. If you look back at 16 into 17, I, can I just sort of talk about the gospel a Please. little bit? And um, Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, and then he gives a couple reasons. One, it's the power of God for salvation, and then in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. We talked about this last time we met about this being a status that the believer has before God, that God gives that status so that um, people who put faith in Christ can stand righteous before a holy God. 
Um, <clears throat> and then 18, we have that, and then we have this long section about the wrath of God being revealed. And Paul's going to walk through this lengthy argument, um, starting here with the Gentiles and then moving to the Jews, and it will culminate in 320 that uh, no one is righteous. But I, I think in our day there is a lot of gospels masquerading as false gospels. A lot of things that are called gospels are good news that are actually not good news. And I think it's really clear here in Romans chapter 1 what we're being saved from. And I think it's an important reminder that the gospel is um, not so much focused on meeting felt needs or saving us from a bad job or um, an unhappy lifestyle, or personal insecurities, or loneliness. But ultimately, the gospel is the good news of a righteous status before God. And I think Paul and God in his wisdom uh, makes that really clear here in Romans 1 for us. And um, ultimately, the gospel is far greater news than any of those things. And we, I think we want to be really clear about that, that the gospel is a is the righteousness of God given to us, and it is uh, very good news. That's huge, Doriani, and you might, if you're reading them, if uh, you're not, please grab a Stott or a Doriani or a both of those commentaries. We've got a few left. Um, said the gospel is the wrap that holds these two meals together, like we've been seeing in 16 and 17 with the gospel, and then um, now all of the bad news. Boys said... That today's preaching, and this is interesting on God's wrath, is mostly deficient um, on the teaching of the wrath of God. I would have to think we probably agree with that. Alan, how many times have I heard you talk about, about that, where we haven't really stressed the, the wrath of God against um, sin like we should? Teaching should never be about taking the care of a felt need that is the teaching to itching ears. Paul is God-centered rather than man-centered. Our main problem, yours and mine, is that no one starts with a right relationship with the Holy God. I think that's what you were saying, Josh. We all start under God's wrath. A thorough study of Scripture leaves us with no other conclusion. Arthur Pink said a study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to anger, fury, and the wrath of God than to our... To his love and tenderness. That's interesting. Can you, Josh, I know this from the counseling background that you've had um, at the Masters, help us to know why that felt need's not the main problem. I know you touched on it in a second, but I think in our day, that's what's usually where people are trying to help, where that's not the real issue. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, if you have to ask the question, what is mankind's deepest need? It's got to be that we deserve God's judgment. Our problem is that we are under his wrath, and if we die today, we will go, and uh, without faith, we'll spend eternity in hell. And so our biggest problem is a sin problem, Yeah, is a sin problem that separates us from God. Uh, it's not a felt need or, or, or anything like that. And I think a lot of times the what we think is our problem is not really our problem. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll stop there. Well, and usually if we do think it's a sin problem, we think it's somebody else's sin problem. That's the problem. But it's, go back to ourselves. I am my own biggest problem. 
Because we had a guy come in chapel about 10 years ago. I remember this. And it wasn't off to a popular start. He started the chapel by saying, you're the problem. He's like, wow, now he's got everybody's attention. And now everybody's mad. Right? What are you doing calling me the problem right out of the gate like that? But that's just true. And uh, start, I think this is when we're talking about God's wrath. And Carter, I want to hear from you on God's wrath. This is Stott, and I've, ever since seeing this from um, I, when we did Romans a while ago, Stott says that nothing arouses God's wrath except for evil. But evil always does. Nothing arouses God's wrath except evil. evil. But 100% of the time, God's wrath is aroused by evil. And then you can just think about the evil in our world. So God's wrath is both future tense, like it's still being stored up in Romans 2, 5. We'll get there in two weeks when we'll talk a lot about hell and the future and that the unbeliever is storing up God's wrath all day long. But it's also being revealed. It's present tense right now. Um, and Carter, you've thought about this suppressing the truth that we do, that the unbeliever um, suppresses the truth um, about God's wrath here. Well, wait, let's wait one second on that, though, because Stott says that nothing keeps people away from God more than, than the inability to see their need of him and their willingness to admit it. What do you think, and this could be for anybody, just throw out some ideas here. Why do you think we are so slow to see our um, our need for God? And, and maybe you're thinking about your life even before you were a believer. Or other unbelievers that you know. We all know unbelievers that right now just they're, they're slow to see it. What do you, why do you think? God. Because we don't see our own evil. Because what? We don't see our own evil. Good. Yeah. Don't see our own sin. So, yep. Yeah, good. What else? Pride. Pride. Man, that's got to be it in the word, Jesse. Yeah. Rather, I mean, even if we do see it, and don't you think there's sometimes the distractions that then, because here we're going to see that they know that there's a God, but I think we go into distraction mode so that we're not really facing the music, you know, to try to get other things, and whether that would be sinful things, whether that be, I'm just going to work more, I'm going to do, but I'm going to try to make it not such a, what else? It requires us to walk by faith. Good, yeah. And it's easier to walk by sight, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, to just go by what we see. Crazy? Um, I would say fear. Um, a lot of times when people first hear the gospel, there's this dying self that's called for. Yeah. And Right. Nobody wants to die to self, and we don't trust very well. Going to what Jerry said, the combination of what both of you are saying, to live by faith means I'm going to have to trust that Jesus is going to do a better job of it than I do. Now, that should be obvious that that's, he's going to be way better at running my life than I am. But so many of my sin issues are caused by me trying to take over and, and uh, running the show. Look at... Uh, 
18, Therefore, by the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Interesting, some commentators pointed out that there may be a difference there that um, godlessness might be sin against God, wickedness might be sin against man. Others kind of said, ah, oh, they're, they're kind of all together. I don't know that we're going to uh, die on that hill um, right now. But who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? Carter, suppression. Truth, sup we're all truth suppressors. What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, one question that I sort of think of when I came upon this uh, part of, the, of verse 18 is which truth are we really suppressing? Like, what is the ultimate truth that is being suppressed? And I think that um, I agree with Sproul when he said that the truth that is suppressed by every man by w one point or another is the suppression of the truth of who God is. So we have a tendency to acknowledge who God truly is and out of a desire to please our own comfort and our own uh, desires kind of fall into idolatry into molding and carving up a God of our own choosing mm. um, which we'll see later that it is the whole point of exchanging the truth about God for a lie so I think the, the, the specific truth is answered in verse 19 for what can be known about God is plain to them mm. and like we me and Josh talked earlier today about how easy it is not only for the belie the unbeliever to suppress the truth but also the believer yeah as well so yeah but, I don't I'm with you Carter I don't think we should be too uh, quick to pat our own back or to toot our own horn or whatever the right phrase is here I think we're all guilty. In this group, he's talking to the unbeliever, for sure. But I think as believers, we also fall into these same traps. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, can I just, I want to look back at 18. I think this is worth mentioning here, because the rest of this 18 to 32 and onward, we're talking about the wrath of God. But biblically, there are a couple different uses in, you know, when we talk about the wrath of God. So I thought I'd mention those. Frequently in the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, the, the wrath of God would be an eschatologic, eschatological judgment or um, eternity in hell. Um, there is also wrath spoken about as cataclysmic. This would be floods or earthquakes. And then here we have a different kind of wrath. Uh, MacArthur called it an abandonment wrath. Mm. Uh, where God kind of removes his restraint and lets people go their own way, which uh, is, is really terrifying when you think about God's wrath being like this. Um, his wrath is not like human anger. So I think we have to be clear that God's wrath is not, you know, just flying off the hook or, or um, just a madness or a rage like you might typify human anger. But it's a measured, settled, consistent, and righteous response to evil. I think Stott said he only responds to evil with wrath and always responds to evil uh, with his wrath. So uh, it's, it's an attribute of God. Um, yes. So I, maybe I just wanted to start there. <clears throat> yeah. And it's calculated. It's, it's that. Yeah. Right. That's it is. And it's so much different than, than, than man's wrath. I think that's a great... Um, that's a great point. Uh, you mentioned 
Carter, and I appreciate you mentioning Sproul. Sproul's great on this, um, and especially on this idea, they're not really being any true atheist here. There's a lot of people that have convinced themselves to be atheists, but when you see there for 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's plain to them. And um, Sproul says, everybody knows that there's a God. They just don't like him. God's imitable. He does not change. But the natural man does not like that God is sovereign, nor that he is holy. But God is going to be forever be sovereign and holy, whether we like it or not. Don't you love that? He's sovereign and he's holy. Man doesn't like that. But that's, the, that's, that's who he is. That's what we have. So we need to start to like that because that is who God is. On top of that, we need a sovereign and holy God. I loved when Sproul, you could hear him just start to say this. We need a sovereign and holy God. This is just in. We're a mess. Right? That, that, we need him. And we need to acknowledge that. If you do acknowledge your sin and how desperately you need a holy and sovereign God, that's going to be the, the beginning of just a, a, a changed life because it is by grace. Satan has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so they can't see the glory of Christ. If you can see the glory of Christ, it's because God made you alive and that's what we need to pray um, for the unbeliever. Um, and so he's sovereign He's holy, and they suppress the truth. I thought this was a good summary. And this, um, I can't remember, might have been from Boyce. So God reveals himself. That's first of all. Man, because he's so wicked and hostile toward God, suppresses that revelation. So God's wrath is rightly revealed against man. God reveals himself. Man says, no, I don't want you. I don't want that. I don't want your sovereignty. I don't want you bossing my, I don't want, I want to be bossing my own life. I want to run my own life. I don't want your sovereignty and your holiness. Um, and Josh pointed out that part of God's wrath is going to be that he turns man over to that 24, 26, and 28. Next week, we're going to see it. Um, in every one of those verses, God gave them up. God gave them up, and God gave them up. Four terrifying words in Scripture that God gives up the unbeliever toward their sin and let sin run its course. And so here, throughout all of general revelation, God shows who he is. His divine nature has been clearly seen and eternal um, power. Where do you see it? And there's, there could be a hundred. Just throw out where in general revelation from all that God's made, what is most convincing to you that this just didn't happen by accident, that God is out there? Where do you see God every day, all day long? And it's called general revelation because everybody sees it. Everybody, no matter where they are, all 8 billion of us or however many there are in the world are seeing this today. Yeah, throw out some some ways, yeah. Sunrise or sunset. Oh yeah, no, that's hard to beat. 
sunrises and sunsets. You know, this is, I don't know, I was 55 and a third years old before I realized this. Read it the other day. There's sunsets everywhere. So all day long, there's a sunset going on. I thought, well, how about that? There sure is. And the sunrise, right? Like this is a constant painting God's doing in the sky. It's all every, because there's always sunset somewhere and sunrise somewhere. So all day long, every day, God's got that going on for people to see. Not just an accidental deal out there. It's screaming. Romans 19, at, no, Romans didn't even have 19. Psalm 19 has a phenomenal part on God's world there of how it just screams with his creation. Good. What else? I would say um, birth, like the birth of a child. Oh, yeah. Caroline. Yes. Absolutely. That's just so fascinating. And then how does that work? Yeah. I think there's a place in the Bible where Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I can't believe they come out and they work, babies. That's just fascinating to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. What else? Uh, in my second organic chemistry class at UNG Delonigo, uh the professor of that class was a Christian, and uh, at one point during the class, he pointed out that for the protein myoglobin, I think it was, uh, given the length of that amino acid sequence and the fact that there's 20 amino acids that are used for proteins, he pointed out that for a protein sequence of that length, there's more possibilities for that sequence than there are atoms in the earth. And, uh, That's correct. And he concluded, and uh, he also said that there's only a few, maybe, I think he said four or five variants of that sequence that work to any extent and he concluded by saying it did not happen by accident i love it it was created yeah the design in mind it had to be didn't it that is great yes our residence uh scientist grant is uh caring for his two girls but um caitlin also has uh in the same boat has uh i asked her about this yesterday to say, you know, when you're looking at stuff like you do all day, what are some ways that you see? Because that reminds me of uh, uh, science that's six levels above where most of us are dealing on a daily daily basis. What do you think, Caitlin? I would like to expand on that lovely example <laughs> because that is also where I see God most prevalently in his design for the world. So protein folding, as you were talking about, there's that's just one example of one protein. There are thousands in your body. And for many of those, if just one of them doesn't work properly, the whole system collapses. And there are actually 250 single gene problematic diseases um, that result in like system-wide failure. 
there are some problems with protein misfolding, and that's like mad cow disease. Um, one protein misfolding can cause you to go completely insane. Um, and so how completely fine-tuned and complex this whole system is, to think that those things could happen by chance, I think takes a whole lot more faith than it is to believe that there is a God who designed it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I don't think that the system, the way that it works, could happen by chance. So that, for me, is a big part of general revelation. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. When you're thinking about God's wrath against their suppression, there's really three options that, that people have. One, we can be convicted with a healthy fear of God and repent. That's what I hope every one of you have done. And if not, raise to the cross. He is willing to forgive you this day and, uh, and declare you righteous even after we've been true suppressors for so long. Number two, argue that the wrath is really unworthy of God. You hear this kind of argument lately, like, oh, no, 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 That's, I don't serve a God of wrath. He's just a God of love, right? And uh, that the notion of God being wrathful can't be true because God's only a God of love. Third, they could also deny that they really deserve it. You know, maybe Hitler, <laughs> Stalin, my second grade bully, they deserved it. Not really me. Right? I'm not really that bad. And so I don't deserve God's wrath. But we know that God's wrath is justified and it's thoroughly biblical. Like Josh said, it's calculated. It's righteous. It's completely different than, um, than we kind of wrath. Boyce, than the wrath we have. Boyce finds three reasons that people deserve God's wrath. Number one, God has revealed himself in nature. So that's called natural or general revelation. Stott says that the God who is invisible, I love this, the God who is invisible and unknowable has himself and made himself both visible and knowable through what has been made. So God, he's invisible and unknowable if he didn't reveal himself, but he has. He has revealed himself even through general revelation. Um, and, and it's general there's four reasons that we call it general revelation, just quickly, um, because everybody can see it. There's um, a, you know, makes us want to re rebel against it, but it's, everybody can see it. It's natural because God has made it through his natural order. It's continuous because it's day after day and night after night. Even when we were talking sunsets and sunrises, there's always one somewhere. Right? All the time it's continual and it's creational. It was revealed through creation. So that's different than special revelation. Right? That's that. And I wish we had more time um, to go into that. So, what, um, when you think about this, they know it. And I wanted to read just verses here that take away the idea that someone really doesn't know. We've already touched on them, but verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You can't suppress something that you don't know, right? It'd be impossible to suppress what they don't know. They know it, 19, clearly. We've gone through that a couple times, 20. 
for there is invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. 28, now we're sneaking in the next week a little bit, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they didn't see fit to acknowledge him, they know that he's there. And then 32 is shocking. Let this land on you, and we'll talk about it more next week. By 32, it's is hit me this year in a whole different way. Though they know God's righteous decree, and that those who practice things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So they know God's righteous decree. To what degree do they know it? They know that they deserve to die because of it. That's shocking to me. I don't think I'd realized to what degree they had really known that. So, um, they suppress the truth of God. Seven quick things, all right, now that they do. These are seven really um, refusals um, that every unbeliever has. And verse 21 is the first one. Carter, tell us when you see the word for, I really liked your insight there. Could you explain kind of how we should see that? Because the word for starts so many different verses. How did you, you said it in passing there? Uh, I just said that um, whenever I see the word for, it kind of automatically turns into because. Good. Yeah. Because. So verse 21, for, although they knew God, they did not honor him. Number one, they don't honor God. People will go to hell because they refuse to honor God. Number two, and we probably need to take just a second or two on this, and Josh, I want to come to you here. But number two, they don't give thanks to him. They don't honor him as God or give thanks to him. <clears throat> give us your thoughts on that, because that's a, that's a biggie. Yeah. So if you're tracking Paul, he's kind of building this case. 18 is sort of like the template verse for this whole section. What can be known about God is plain through two things, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, clearly perceived so that they're without excuse. So they know God, they're without excuse. His wrath is revealed because of these things. And they knew God, they don't honor him or give thanks to him. Um, this, you know, this phrase for me as I was studying this week, it was almost, I just didn't notice it until re, until you sent me that list, Jerry. But um, one pastor called the modern era that we live in, uh, we live in a drought of thankfulness. And we live in one of the most materially blessed societies ever to come into existence. But yet, we do not honor God or we do not praise him or thank him for material blessings or the things that he's given to us in this in this world <clears throat> yeah the um one of the and you might have read it might have been i don't remember which commentary said one right uh, russian writer said a man if he's not stupid he's monstrously ungrateful well that's pretty true isn't it somewhat uh someone else said the best def definition of man is an ungrateful biped Boyce said linguistically, the worship of God and the praise of God and the glory of God are all the all the same thing, really, here, uh, linguistically. So, okay, so 
going back, I think I already messed up the number system. What kind of refusals do we see a man? There's seven of them. Number one, they suppress the truth. I think I forgot that one. Number two, they glorify and they refuse to glorify or worship God. Number three, they have a thankfulness. Now, one more thing on this. Why is uh, ingratitude so dangerous? Because it will fall in an awareness, uh, in an unawareness of the most basic facts about God. Um, Oz Guinness believed that rebellion against God does not begin with the clenched fist of atheism, but with the self-satisfied heart of the one from whom thank you is redundant. If the word thank you is redundant to us, and Coach Krause has been very um, instrumental on, on all of us who know him to say that, uh, that we just have to continually be thankful to let that thankfulness be part of our life um, just continually. Number four, they are futile in their thinking. Look at verse 21. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Um, I don't know for sure that I understand Logos, but John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus brings logic to life. If you wonder why your unbelieving friend is not logical in the way he or she operates, that's it. Jesus is the one that brings logic to him. And I don't know that that's, if, if we can for sure go to that passage, but that's one that re reminded me of number five. Their foolish hearts were darkened. People will prefer nothing to God. People would prefer to worship nothing than they were to God because that's less convicting and less accountable. Quasi, I think you you said that. They would rather just um, worship themselves. Uh, number six, verse 22 Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Jeremiah 17, 9. Our, the, our hearts are deceitful above all things. And isn't that what's happened to the, the unbeliever? Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool is the one that says that there is no God. Paul David Tripp says, The DNA of sin is deception. The unbeliever is living in deception all day long, feeling like they're wise, but really they're fools. They claim to be wise, but they're but they're fools. Where where is this? And we just have um, a couple minutes. Does anybody have a like? Where is a um, an illustration of that from what you see in our world right now? Foolish behavior everywhere. Yeah, Caitlin. This verse speaks very strongly to me prior to becoming a Christian because I thought that I was so wise in my understanding of science and the way the world worked, and I was so haughty, um, and yet I had never even really looked into the things that I believed. Like, I believed wholeheartedly that the Big Bang Theory explained completely the origins of the universe, and yet I had never 
even looked into it. I just accepted it. And yet I thought I was so wise because I thought, yeah, this is, those Christians don't know what they're talking about. It's all imaginary stuff. And, and yet with like complete confidence, I who had looked into nothing was just like so sure I was willing to stake my eternity on it that that was how it was without having even a moment looked into it. Wow. Isn't that good? That's a great, that's, that's great logic. In the last couple of years, entirely different. Well, and I, I find that that has been a wonderful way to spread the gospel to some of my people in, in science is to say, well, can you explain the Big Bang Theory to me? And we start to discuss it, and we start to see where the gaps, have you really looked into it? Yeah. What is a quark? <laughs> what is the string theory? How do you explain that? And when you realize, when they realize that they haven't given it nearly as much thought that their confidence would uh, suggest, the wheels in their head start turning and they start questioning. It's been a wonderful exercise. And I'm going back to what Jerry said. Then they're living by sight rather than by faith. But, but your point would be that it really takes more faith to believe the nonsense than it does to believe the truth. Yeah, that's really good. Number seven, they exchange the glorious God for mortal man. This is the first of what we call the grim exchanges. There's four grim exchanges, and that's in verse 23. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So there are so many um, ways here that we can see the unbeliever uh, going south with the kind of foolishness. But um, I think once again, we need to remember that Jesus is the propitiation. He's the one that satisfied God's wrath. And, um, and I think you could even say, Jerry Bridges said even stronger, he doesn't just satisfy God's wrath. He exhausted God's wrath. We all deserve this wrath spoken of in verse 18 and again of in, in 2.5 that we would be storing up God's wrath. But know as believers, when, ye, when God changed your heart, now you're storing up treasures in heaven. But the unbeliever all day long, let's hurt for him. Let's go after him with a new zeal. Not condemning as much as loving and caring and helping them to understand that they're storing up God's wrath all day long every day with what they're doing for um, for an eternity in hell where instead you and I have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. Carter, any final thoughts? Josh? That's really good. Maybe a few application questions. Yeah. That was a great word, but um, I think with this passage we can ask ourselves, are we living lives as Christians like the Gentiles and think we can ask, are we, are we honoring God? Are we um, giving thanks to him? And in any area of our life, are we suppressing the truth, that, that idea of suppressing, quelching the truth consciously and willfully trying to look away from it? Um, I, I think this is the case a lot of times when we sin willfully or, you know, an, an act of commission we're in some way suppressing the truth that we know about God so we can examine our hearts and see if we're doing that um, I think this gives great urgency as you're saying to our evangelism yeah. knowing that um, the wrath of God is being poured out actively now um, but in the future it will be like a mighty deluge and if if the wrath being poured out now is like 
water from a dropper, the wrath that's to come after death will be uh, terrible. So yep. I think this gives us great urgency in our evangelism. Good. Thanks, Josh. If you would, 24 to 32 uh, for next week, Lord willing, the uh, seven verses, I think there's 21 vices that um, really are listed there. Uh, once again, that none of us are um, completely, um, we all participate in, in so many of these things, even as believers, but camp in those seven, if you would. Carter, would you close us? Thanks, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity to open it and not have any persecution. Um, thank you for the chance to gather as a community of believers and dwell on the truth of the gospel, of your wrath, and of these things which are heavy and hard upon us. Father, I pray that you would be with um, Mr. Mark as he gets ready to preach. And I pray that you would help us to dwell and to meditate on your word, not just let it pass by us, but that we would grow through it and by the strength of your spirit be molded more into the image of Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please grab a Doriani or a voice um, if you would like one.